Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. The ten dollar founded father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a lot smarter by being the self-starter daughter to your union. And the hope baby you provide. 
This is Hamilton. Today is the day. I have literally been waiting for this one all summer. Thank you for joining us on the film board from the next reel on True Story FM. We spoil movies, and this month we spoil musical theater too, because Disney released a live filmed version of Hamilton on its streaming platform, Disney Plus, last week, a day before the 4th of July, and we weren't about to let this one fly under our radar. We've never talked about a movie like this before, I think... I feel confident saying that. And in the middle of a confusing year like this one, it feels like an entry into big conversations about so many different things. At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins, and you can join our conversation by connecting with us on Discord. We have a server there where we discuss details about all of our shows and the entertainment industry as a whole with film fans from all around the world. We're always working to grow our wide omni-channel interactive experience, so check out all the details at thenextreel.com. Speaking of growing, we would like to welcome a new voice to the film board tonight. I'd like to introduce you all to Ocean Murph. Hello, Ocean. Ocean. Hello, hello, Justin. <laughs> Tommy, it's yes. Hi. Yes, thank you for allowing me to join this, uh, join this team. We are so happy that you're here. And I'd like to start, just I'm going to ask everybody this, by asking about your experience of Hamilton and musical theater in general. Do you consider yourself to be a fan, a veteran, or a rookie in this realm? I am undoubtedly a rookie. Okay. I not, okay. Yes, I did not see the I did not mm. see the musical before. I've no, I haven't seen it all. I just heard that it was good. <laughs> well, that that is a good yes. way to start. I think that's yes. great. And okay, now let's say hello to Tommy Handsome. How about your history? What did you know about Hamilton? Hi, friends. <laughs> I loved it. Oh, um, I uh, yes, I was a, a lucky enough to see it cool. at the Pantages here in Los Angeles uh, when it came around its first run. Um, and I was a big fan even before that of the soundtrack. Okay, so I'm very good. Fairly well versed. I had some songs kind of memorized before. Excellent. I even got the memorized. That's that is a task in and of itself. Memorized. Okay, and and then also Pete Wright. I'm what is lonely. your Hamilton history? Hamilton? Me? I died for him, JJ. Uh, <laughs> I am a I nice. am a big fan of this show. <laughs> I, I get it. I just I just want it out there. I'm a big fan. I might have seen the show, even though I didn't see the show. I uh, might have seen it electronically and a lot of the times uh, with oh, the original. Shh. Nobody says that. <laughs> I might have Sorry, seen it word. a lot um, to say. No. I think that I've listened to the the cast album. It I feels like hundreds of times would be conservative. I am a big fan wow. of this show. So I'm going to be a mess talking about this movie. You guys, I'll probably just pass out a little bit. And mm. uh, uh, yeah, so that's fine. Mm. Go ahead. That's fair. What do you before, do? before I ask another question, when you say you've listened to the cast album, is that the cast that we saw on this? So the cast album is the same yes. as what we just saw? That is accurate. Uh, with the exception of cool. two people, two people had already uh, had left the show who were on the cast album. They were ensemble members. They are not represented in the film, but everybody else is on the cast album. OK, yeah. OK, well, we'll get into that a little bit of detail, too. That, you already heard Pete call me JJ, and I'm going to start in a different way than we've done in the past because I want to give my initial thoughts first. Oh, cheating. Excellent. Because I have <gasps> never seen Hamilton before this. I've heard lots oh. of joy about it. And I think for me, I really wanted to be unspoiled to some degree. Uh, actually <laughs> shared a, a bit of a digital thing with me at one point, but I didn't look at any of it because I 
wanted to see it in the normal way. Um, I wanted to see it like this. And we brought it to us like this. But I had heard some of the songs. I had done some of the details. It had been great. Um, and so now uh, I get to say how I feel about Hamilton. And I, like I said, I was waiting for this all summer. I am psyched. I liked it a lot. I've watched it already twice. And I am going, as soon as we end this podcast, I'm going to turn it on again. Uh, I, I see, I love it. And, it, and the interesting thing about me it, for it is that uh, the first time through, I didn't really get all of it. I think I maybe needed some captions. I needed something to get there. And I watched it with my kids, eight and 10. And they, we had to pause a lot. I had to kind of give, you know, some explanations of what was going on with it, but I loved it. And it is in, it's in my top five of musicals of all time. It's not at the top. It's number four. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But, uh, but the detail is I loved it. I was super impressed. I think it's completely different than any musical I've seen before. And I think it's really special. So now coming back, I'm starting strong, but it sounds like Pete, you might even be stronger. Can you pass out a little bit and tell us what your initial thoughts uh, were on the film? JJ, please. Oh God. <laughs> I've got the vapors. He's got the vapor. Well, you got to know for those. You, <laughs> that's from his fainting couch. I, you got to know, I am, a, I'm just a, like, I'm a dyed in the wool musical theater guy. Like this is how yeah. I grew up. Like this, my first theater, like acting experiences were, were a musical theater. Right. And so like, this is just my vibe. And so uh, this, I, I was very much been looking forward to seeing this. And I think I was leery about the idea. I mean, knowing how big Hamilton has been as a property for the last five years, I, I sort of knew that Hamilton, the movie was coming. And then we get In the Heights and it looks like they're doing a fantastic job with In the Heights and what they're about to do with In the Heights. And I think that if you haven't experienced In the Heights, it is the perfect warm up to Hamilton, right? It is literally a warm up for a number of members of this cast uh, who were in the Broadway show of In the Heights and, and moved over here with Lin-Manuel, uh, but also cast members that are in the Broadway cast who are in the movie now of In the Heights. So, so moving from, so, so it's great. You got to watch it. It's it's a great thing to, to experience. Um, so I was nervous. Having seen the original Broadway cast show, I was nervous about the idea of a a movie version of this because for me, this is and and was intended to be in its most perfect form on stage. And yeah. I, I think taking this thing and making it a cinematic experience would suck something out of it. So I feel deeply lucky that we have such a beautiful performance, such a beautifully produced uh, experience of this thing. And I love that it can just exist for me as a little jewel that I can watch many, many times. And I can either put on the soundtrack or I can put on the video and it's the, a beautiful experience of the same thing. So I, I think they did a lot right with this and, um, and I'm, I'm eager to talk more about it, but yeah, it was great. Well, that's great. And and it sounds like I mean if, if this if the film adaptation may have suffered, this is like you said it, it's a it's a neat jewel to have as a sort of bridgeway to have both the stage version filmed yeah. so that we can all certainly see it. Certainly a time capsule, right? Like certainly something right. that will live on. So I love it. How did you originally see the Broadway <laughs> cast again? <laughs> I'm sorry, what's that? How did you originally see the Broadway cast? You, I missed it. You went to New York and saw the 
I'm sorry. It was, it was breaking pre- up. No, I'm sorry. It's a problem. It's probably my audio. Tom, okay, go I, ahead. I'm not hearing you. So let's move to Ocean. Ocean, as a rookie, as 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 saying from musical theater or from Hamilton, what was this like for you to watch it as the movie and as the music and the whole thing hitting you? I loved it. I thought it was great. Cool. The music was great. I really enjoyed the story. I felt that they did a really good job of communicating the history, the history of what had happened with all historical biopics, which is kind of how I kind of came in viewing this as, well, it's just a historical biopic, but it's going to have better music in, you know, than you normally hear <laughs> yeah. in, in them. So but as one of those, I felt that they communicate a lot of the story well. They got a lot of the points, right, a lot of the points and the facts very fairly accurate. I immediately after watching it hopped on, you know, Wikipedia and Google and started, you know, fact checking my, nice. my new history lesson that I just had. But also, I think that from a musical theater standpoint, for me, the interesting thing was I've, I've seen a few musicals. And in all musicals I've seen, they do a lot of singing to move the plot along. But after a while, they do start just talking normally. Sure. And then they break into song. And it took about, you know, 30 minutes or so for me to realize, oh, they're not going to stop singing. Right. <laughs> and, and they're just going to communicate this whole thing in song. And then also... Uh, but then for me, I found the story easier to follow after a while because I realized that a lot of the, a lot of the way they got around having to actually stop and speak normally was by rapping. And, you know, having listened to rap, you know, since the early 80s and, uh, you know, loving that genre of music after a while, once I realized that's what was happening, it just felt like they were speaking normally, just in a, in a you know, in a better rhythm, in a better rhythm, better tone. So, so I really loved it. I enjoyed it a great deal. And I thought that uh, I really want to look forward to talking more about uh, what Pete was mentioning earlier about the differences of seeing something as a cinema that really was intended for the stage and the differences that you get when when that's what you're looking at. That's awesome. And, and Tommy might be in a good place to tell us that because you've seen it on stage. So, well, there were having seen it on stage, there were two big things that I was worried about about this. Number one, that it would end up sort of being like a yeah. those fathom events that show up in theaters that you go and you see it on a big screen, sure. but it still really looks like TV. And I was afraid that this would just really look like TV uh, because they would be so respectful that it would just sort of be almost like tripod directing. The other side was the exact opposite, that Hollywood executives or someone would be like, well, now we can get in there and let's have the camera swirl around and look what we can do. And everyone has a everyone has a GoPro and all of this stuff that would take it away from it. Luckily, neither of those things happened. I thought this was an absolute triumph of both vision and so as important restraint to really keep it from. We can talk about the cinematography later, but to really keep it almost all the time from the audience's perspective, knowing when to move in to add some intimacy, but also when to just stick to the wide to let the show speak for itself. I thought it was Magnificent. Yeah, it was super intentional of the camera stuff. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. that we get a chance to talk about that. So we talked, uh, it, it, I think those are all great initial thoughts. And it sounds like all of us are on the positive side, which is something that's key too. So we might fanboy a little bit out as we overwhelm ourselves with positivity on this one. But I'm going to try to uh, uh, talk a little bit about the story. I don't think that I can do a good job of describing a quick synopsis of this story because so much happens so quickly. I think it's more, I think it's way more than we ever get in a traditional film. And, and you know, we can talk about that, but, I, and, and then I get super distracted by the music as I'm thinking about, you know, what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that big number, but, but just from the basis of the story, I'm going to try to say what happens in it. So 
Alexander Hamilton is a poor orphan with big ideas, and he comes to New York and meets a number of revolutionaries, including Aaron Burr. He meets a wealthy family of three sisters as well, and he catches the eye of two of them, eventually marrying the middle sister, Eliza, while maintaining a deep emotional relationship with the eldest, Angelica. He and Burr shadow each other throughout the fight for American independence, Hamilton as an outspoken fire starter, and Burr as a political opportunist. Hamilton is the right hand of President George Washington, and Hamilton and... What is that? What is that? Did someone put something in there? What are you talking? Where are you? What is, who I are was just about? listening. <laughs> Hamilton is the outspoken fire. No, I'm going to slow down. Hamilton and, back and up. Foster Eliza. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you did it. I you always try to hide my dog's name in like, the script. I <laughs> show, and it hasn't. And I was so long long into it that I thought I messed something up. That was the greatest. That was the greatest. <laughs> Wasn't was like, his wife's name Foster Eliza? <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, Gigi, no, 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 that was great. Wonderful. Sorry, I'm not sure to go back to you to clean edit, right. but that was wonderful. That was the best that you've ever done with that. I was like, wait a second. Amazing. I actually am thinking about what I'm reading while I read it. And Foster Surprising Eliza, I, wh- everybody. <laughs> what I thought is I was like, oh, wait, maybe they didn't have a son and they fo- had a foster child. Well, that's the problem. Is foster is actually like a word. It's, it's not like it was Kyle. Perfect. It was perfect. Okay. Um, hmm. okay. Hamilton and Eliza have a son. And after the war, Alexander continues to work diligently to build the country as secretary of the treasurer treasury with important decisions regarding the constitution and banking system rivaling thomas jefferson the secretary of state hamilton participates in an illicit affair and is blackmailed for it washington steps down as president to build a culture of secession but hamilton publishes the details of his affair clearing his name but destroying his political prospects and ravaging his family in the process in a later election jefferson runs against burr remember him and even in hamilton's disgrace his endorsement propels jefferson to the presidency Bird duels Hamilton and kills him. Now, that is a lot of things that happens in this, but that is just not enough to describe everything that's going on in this story. I missed, I think I missed tons of things. Also, you just spoiled American history for everybody. Well, and that's, and I'm glad that Ocean looked it up too, because I think that's something that we need to talk about, (laughs) about whether this is an accurate representation of history. But first, let's start, if you guys could kind of point out my gaps, tell me about any story points that I may have missed in that bunch, because I think there's a lot of them here, right? I thought you did really good. Okay, thanks. I mean, there's it's it's a lifetime, and the they're part, able right? to. And one of the things is they, in three stanzas, will do two years right. of stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's just not fair. They slow down for the interpersonal stuff and like the cabinet meetings, but then years go by. Yeah. An entire life goes well, by. Well, and so, that's yeah. the weird thing. So there's the the point that I think that I'm trying to make about this is that there's also through lines within this story that we don't get to touch oh, on. Oh, the sun, right? maybe. So we, the sun is a that's big right. deal. And, and, and there's this concept. I mean, there's three duels in that. You know, we end with this major duel, but there's three duels and talking about the concepts of what duels meant in history and what they mean to us today. The, the big thing that I think is kind of like the overarching thing, because all of a sudden it's the final number, is this who lives who dies and who tells your story? We everyone knows it's called Hamilton. Everybody knows it's about Hamilton. But the narrator of this story, we just talked about that whole story, is Burr, this person who's reviled. And then, of course, we get this final number where it's all about Eliza, 
right? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? It's her. Whose story is this to you guys? Is it just straight up Hamilton or is there some other convention here that hit you while you were watching this movie? I think for me, I felt that it really was just, it was predominantly Hamilton's story. I think that you find out more about other characters. You know, you find out more about Burr and I, you know, I didn't know that he was, you know, vice president of beating Thomas and Jefferson. I, you know, I felt that kind of hit smacked in the face with some ignorance there of like, well, you know, well, Hey, maybe I should have paid a bit more attention in social, social, uh, social studies when I was in eighth grade. Also, you should yeah, remember exactly. which class to go to, to learn about that. That would be a good start. <laughs> it was, it was a, it was eighth grade. I, I blocked that year out. So, so, yeah. So, um, but yeah, but that, um, so I think that you, you, you learn about a lot of other characters and they, they're supporting things about them. And they're, you know, there, there are different plot points that are mentioned and things that are even important to society. Like George Washington stepping down, is one of the top 10 most important things that's happened in American history. I agree. Right? But even in this story, it's just a footnote that really this story is about the, the, the life and, and death of Hamilton and his thoughts and his focuses and his dreams and his decisions, right or wrong, that he made throughout his professional and, and a large part of his personal life. But also at risk of being extremely cheesy, <laughs> it's like the people that say, you know, in Sex and the City, New York is the fifth character. Uh, this is also the story. This is also really the story of America that he picked yeah. vehicles and these people to tell what made America America for better or worse these days. Am I right, folks? No, but the idea of what separated us from England from a monarchy. Yeah. Uh, it takes us through all of that because incredibly he was wound through all of those things that made America what America is today. Well, and you bring up New York. I think like Ocean said, I wasn't aware that Aaron Burr, it was even in the running for those things, right? He's, his history has basically forgotten him except for a got milk commercial that I saw, you know, eight years ago. But the thing I think is interesting. Another thing that I hadn't learned is that part of the negotiations to move the capital from New York to Virginia happened as a part of what was going on here. There are really interesting historical facts to talk about, you know, the room where it happened. I think that's amazing. Pete, what was, what was the main, story for you well uh, I, you know i i think that and i i know that some of this is just it comes uh, as you know the result of being able to listen to it over years and 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 it has changed for me um but it, it certainly was a different story when i heard it the first time compared to when i first saw it and then would listen sure. to it again and again right because i i think that what you can say with the production is that my god the importance of actors and blocking and staging are really important to story right that makes yeah. a big difference and i think this movie just nailed that so for me the the story of like back to your question jj who lives who dies who tells your story i think um it is interesting that it is literally burr that tells the story of this thing, right? He is the right. narrator. So he's the one who's telling the story. And it's almost that this is his last gasp, right? Because we go from here to, my God, I'm the villain of your history. And that right. line punches me in the neck every single time, especially because it had never been so clear to me that at the climactic duel, it's Burr that screams, wait. And that is that, that what he screamed? I didn't know what he was saying. He said, wait. That changes the, uh, the story at the end. That I love it. It's just, it, it leads to this immense weight of regret uh, on, uh, on all of these lives that are, that are just churned over, you know, mistakes, over gaffes, over ego. And, and I think that's, that's pretty powerful. 
It's a, a fantastic story of relationships. I think uh, it, it is a story where Hamilton, he did some amazing things, also kind of a jerk. And I think that, yeah. uh, you know, I think that people who watch <laughs> this and hear this and see this as a glorification or as an origin story of a political hero have missed the point and should watch it again. Because this is yep. a guy who made some extraordinary mistakes. He is so not without uh, fault in, in this whole thing. The entire second act is his life falling apart. And, and so I, I don't want to leave out the story of, um, you know, of, of his affair and what he did to his wife and his children. I mean, he ended up having like seven children. And in fact, his next child uh, was born like 11 months after Philip died. And they also named him really? Philip. And so like they that. just sort of took a do over. So there, there are some things about <laughs> Hamilton that are are certainly worth like think about, it. but I I think what the show communicates to me is that story of this man's contribution, who never stopped saying, "What if? What if we did yeah. this better? What if we did that different? That is, that's a superpower." And uh, and I think it's it's great to be. Uh, I, I think that what the show does is invigorate that for me. Right? It 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 fills me with uh, an energy to create, and I think that's really cool. I love it. Mm. And I think that's I think that's great. I mean, I like that you part up bring up the point about no, no one being a perfect protagonist, too. I think that's something I actually had to talk about with my kids yeah. while we watch this. Right. I mean, other than Washington, I think Washington is right. kind of infallible. He's Jarrell, in man. Like he's right. Amazing. Exactly. And, and we know that his history isn't perfect right. either. But uh, but in this in in this film in this in this show, uh, Washington stands as you know Jor-El. Great, he's the father. But of, look at how of great this there. is, and the way Miranda actually constructs this. Right, that we we do have this parallel story. Right, we see the end of Washington's career and life, and the beginning mm -hmm. of Alexander Hamilton's, and they are moving in parallel in the same direction. And so, I think one last time is a crushingly moving. Uh, a bit in in this thing yep. leading up to you know the I mean it's just it's just crushingly moving and the way uh, that Chris Jackson performs that I mean he sings the hell out of that song but using Washington's words uh, as a way to narrate a transition of power and relinquishing and teaching at the same time and just how excruciatingly painful it is to let go of this thing that you've created. Are they? I, I mean, it, it's it has even more weight today than it did five yeah. years ago. Well, I think I had forgotten about that song, and I burst out yeah. crying enough that Foster jumped off his seat and came over to right. sit on my. <laughs> <laughs> so that's or amazing. it was time to walk. One of the two. It was my favorite number on first watch. That changed when I watched the second time. But I think one of the things that Ocean brought up here too is that that is. It was such a significant piece of American history there. And and you get the number after where the king of England comes in. And he's like, what did they do? What does that mean? Like, right. I, I didn't, I didn't even know was it was a big deal. <laughs> right. Right. And I mean, Ocean, did you know about that before you saw the, mo the movie? I didn't. Well, I, I knew about the, uh, from a historic concept, I knew about it. I knew about that the George Washington uh, resigning after his second term created the the norm of presidents being only a term for eight years total. Yeah. Right. And so I think that, you know, you learn, you learn about that in history and then that's the norm that happens. And then eventually it gets codified into 
law in the, in the mid 1900s. But I think that the, the song and the performance of what you saw in this movie allowed it to be, it kind of gave a, a more of an emotional resonance as well to, to just a, a bland historic fact, right? It's a, it's a, it is kind of a bland historic fact, but it's very important. And when you read it in a textbook, you, it doesn't convey the emotion and the sacrifice really that George Washington had to go through in this moment to give up this power because he could have just stayed president. He could have been king. Right. He could have ridden this out and been the most powerful person in the country until he died, but he recognized that this sacrifice that he was going to make to give up his own power would also make this you know, new country or like his new child baby come alive and, and allow it to be able to understand how to hand over and transition power to sustain as a country you know, for years and years to come you know, to this day. And, and I think that this, this performance allowed us to feel it more than just read about it. Hugely. Well, Hugely. and I think I that to that point, exactly like you get you get that beautiful finish and then the reverse camera on Jonathan Groff coming in, at, you know, as Washington comes out. That is one of the few uses of that camera. It was it was, this, you know, that, that I thought was incredibly effective where you watch them have that exchange facing a dark audience uh that that i think worked really well and it was it was really sort of heart-wrenching uh watching him walk past the mechanics of uh waste and uh, of of royalty that that um you know, represented by the king so i i thought that was really incredible do you know how many cameras there were? I, 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 I was that was something that I was really interested in when I was lining up for the movie because I was like, oh, there's going to be three cameras. Like, I don't know how it's going to work. And I, I'm really, fathom events, yeah. right? Yeah, like fathom events. I was like, oh, like I, I was worried about that. But th this was great. I mean, I, I think I, I, I have saw a guess. Like five. Was there was there five? I, how many? I believe I counted. Uh, eight. Okay, let me tell you. Okay. Uh, so the way they put this together, there were two full live performances with six static mm -hmm. cameras, right? And so each mm -hmm. of those performed. That was a Sunday matinee where they shot the whole thing as is. And then they spent the rest of Sunday and all of Monday and uh, uh, through Tuesday morning, they say, uh, doing steadies and close-ups and, and on 11 songs where they went in, that's where you get the moving shots, right? You get them, you know, do the isolations, the character isolations, the nuanced stuff on 11 you, songs. You mean without a crowd? Without they a go, crowd. Because you, really? Yes. Yeah, without a crowd. I never would have guessed I know. that. That's amazing. I know. It was incredible. But I, with the third time I watched it, I'm watching for those things. And there are little, yeah, little continuity things like folds in the bottom of Philippa Sue's dress uh, in one take. And then she turns <laughs> around and it's clean. Uh, and so those mm. little things. So they did those for 11 takes and then, or 11 songs, uh, the big okay. numbers, right? Uh, and right. then they did one more full audience with uh, the six cameras. Uh, static cameras on Tuesday night. So to yeah. to Tommy's point, there were probably eight or ten, but uh, you know, six for the static performance and how many cameras they were using for the the motion stuff. It sounds about right. I I was super impressed by what they did with it. And so the the, the weird thing that I will say to this is because I have my one of my one of my film credits was working on Glee the 3D concert movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we shot we shot the live Glee concert over two nights. Same sort of thing, right? Two full live shows uh, in New Jersey at the IZOD Center. And everything's uh, legal in New Jersey. 
<laughs> everything's legal. Sorry. There you go. Nailing it. So, but like that, but everything that Tommy was afraid of for this movie in terms of like knowing when to cut, not using too many. We, of course, were running the cable cam and then they also had a massive jib at the same time and we were in each other's shots. They wanted to show all that stuff and they did exactly what you were talking about, Tom. They didn't show restraint. And that's one of the things that's so great about Hamilton here is that they everything they did, every time they cut that stuff that you're talking about, about coverage. Pete, uh, going over the days and doing the stuff, even if I didn't notice the continuity, I'm yeah. going to look for it now too. But like, it was masterful because they were really making sure that they captured emotion in the right way with both the music. I never would have guessed. I never would have guessed. I think it was perfectly executed in this film. And I'm so impressed with the way that they did it here. That's one of the things that, that Miranda says, that this is the absolutely the best rehearsed movie in the history of movies, that you're seeing that. a movie in which this <laughs> cast has performed these scenes literally hundreds of times. And uh, so it, his words, the goal came to be about honoring the performance that we're giving. And, and I think that's a really special way to to put it, that. Um, that this is the move. This is the performance, right? It starts with King George telling you to silence your cell phones and don't record, and it Love ends it. when they walk off stage. Uh, I think that was just beautiful. Um, the one thing that I thought was was really special as they as you watch the interviews of the cast that are now coming out is uh, the number of of the performers who said, you know, it was an enormous opportunity for us to add performant elements that only work on camera, right? After Like what kind of things right? would those be? Just like performative stuff. Stage versus yeah, movie stage acting. stage versus movie acting, right? Or TV acting. A lot of these people have a have a lot of television background. And so to have cameras back, they're like, wow, I have to do a lot of very big, broad things for the audience. And now we're going to have cameras in our faces. I have an opportunity to actually... Take, take it, it down, down a peg and actually emote yeah. or actually do a little bit more nuance with my voice or something that I might not do in just the stage performance. So this ends up being a, a, a sort of hybrid uh, that that I think works really well for the material. And one of the things that I noticed about this was that it seemed like everyone to me and 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 maybe I'm 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 going too far with this, but it felt like everyone was basically stoic, that they were basically still. And then presenting with the story. It starts off in the first number, right? Everybody walks out, they stand, they give you your piece. And I, and I found that that was different from the, what I'm used to in musical theater, that I feel like people are usually, it, it felt like the people who were telling the story or the people who were singing were usually still and that the scene happened around them. And I thought that was really interesting that we didn't really get a whole lot of choreographed singing numbers uh, is, is how I felt. But maybe I'm overdoing that. Maybe it, maybe it, it's not that way. Again, I've only watched it twice. But did you guys notice that sort of thing that really like you think about the the the, the number satisfied or you think about like um, helpless and all these things? These are really meant to show the environment around the singer or around the presenter being still and telling us in a sort of in a vacuum as we see the story happening around them. Was that unique to you guys? The, uh, which I understand that feeling with musicals since I, you know, of the musical I've seen that you kind of have that feeling of where they're stopping and doing a set musical piece and movement and actions happening around them. And I think that I usually feel that way because in, in most musicals, they're speaking normally, having a normal conversation like we are now, and then they start busting into a Broadway tune, you know, and then you start going off into, into this other direction and then that's where, and you make this conscious, you make a mental shift. 
I think that with this, because they really never stop singing, that really just by changing the tone or the inflection of the singing voice or the speed, since it's had a lot of singing and rapping, or the speed of when of the how they're rapping, that it really does allow you to speed up and slow down and keep along the tone that the movie is trying to send you without without necessarily having to stop the action that's going around around the character. That makes sense. I think the other thing that to to pivot on that um, the, the other piece that I think is is uh, interesting to note is that because there are no breaks uh, for these people because it's a straight sing through uh, musical right. there are no natural uh, opportunities to change set right and so from a production pr- design perspective you notice how incredibly efficient everything is on stage it is a modest stage right you have two inner ring uh you know insets in the actual stage so you get some really cool like turning effects and then you have the rise in the back where they can go up and down the stairs and that's it everything else has to be handled in terms of set pieces by the performers and i think they did an incredible job uh manifesting this right manifesting using the the people who were on stage to become furniture to become storms and weather elements to become uh you know uh, members of a party i mean they just move so quickly uh because there is no opportunity to to stop and take a breath uh you know they they have to end up using everybody on stage and the person who's singing is invariably going to be doing something else incredibly active in just a minute. So give them a break because, <laughs> you know, everybody's going to have to pull their weight. So, well, that's yeah. what, so uh, in talking about that, that's one of the things that um, Renee Elise Goldsberry said about the song Satisfied in particular yeah. is that she, that to learn all of the rap in it, that she just had to plan when she was going to breathe. And that really when yeah. they were choreographing everything around her, she had, you know, Chris Jackson, Washington coming up and and having to, spin her at one point and and they're like all of the other actors in the company were just concerned about not messing her up because she's so focused on doing her one thing because there's just so many words <laughs> there's so much to do here yeah i mean speaking of a break what did you guys think about the one minute intermission for the tv movie that they put in there oh, that like, was great uh, i thought it was terrific at first i was like what and then i realized how important it was because the play, the play itself, the musical itself, shifts gears so yeah. hugely yeah. that the whole first part is about the, the Revolutionary War and then the second is about the creation of America. So you need a little bit of that breather. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, you mentioned that and I, the change and shift there. I, I actually, so having not seen the show before and only knowing some of the songs, I actually felt like the first act went really long. I kept feeling like there were... There were numbers that I was like, oh, that's the end. That's the end of act one, right? That's my that's my red and black from Les Mis. That's like, like this is where this is going to hit. But it happens like three times. 100% after the world turns yep. upside down, yeah. I was like, oh, now's going to be the intermission because that's how I remembered it. And I saw it yeah. live, unlike Pete. Well, there you go. <laughs> and then we so, get and the, I, the king comes back and he has to have his final words, which are great. Right, but right. then we have to have this yeah. beautiful, like what business does this gorgeous Dear Theodosia have being the second to the last song of the first? Act. Right. And of course, nonstop to me, this is where I've always felt a little bit of, of conflict. Nonstop to me feels like the intro to the second act rather than the closer of the first act. Right. So I totally get what you're saying there. So, and that was the weird thing. It feels non-traditional. And I feel like, I mean, 
from the musical theater pieces that I've seen, this feels really non-traditional in its pacing because you have this breakneck pace through most of it. And then at the whole, you know, I guess the natural climaxes and the natural valleys from where you would feel, they feel somewhat unnatural here. I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing, but exactly what you were talking about, Tom, I told my kids, I think three times, I was like, oh, this is going to be the intermission. Oh, this is going to be intermission. And they've never sat through a play before. So that was a mistake on my part. Because <laughs> they're like, oh wait, when Dad, is that I thought this was going to be the intermission. They're getting it wrong, son. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you can't break down as a father. Exactly, pacing. Come on, Miranda. Yeah. No, and that's interesting too because Miranda, when he was talking about this, he said um, the beautiful thing about putting an intermission here is we're going to put it a minute long, but you can pause it, make it as, make long, it as, as long as you want. As you want. Because there will be no lines at the women's bathroom in your house like we have in Brother. We've talked about accuracy. Pete, you bring up that they had seven kids. I think for me, not knowing that is kind of a mind blower. Do we think that's important in, in what they're relaying here? How important is the accuracy of what they're trying to tell? Because honestly, all I see right now on the internet is people blowing up about like, oh, this is how they got it wrong. This is how they got it wrong. Is that really important to you when you watch this? Well, I can speak for me in some cases that, yes, I, I think that accuracy is important. I don't, that doesn't have to be, you know, 100% completely, you know, completely accurate. You can have some things that you're going to have in any biopic where you're going to have some embellishments to help move the story along, or, you know, the, the characters are going to do things slightly different, differently. You're going to have composite characters, things like that. But when you are talking about, it, you're going to make a, make a musical about a, uh, the founding father of Alexander Hamilton, who's on the $10 bill, who is a historical figure, including George Washington, you're going to need to get a lot of the facts right. And I think that by getting the facts right, it actually does make it, it's important in two ways. One, it makes it where when you're looking things up after the fact, you're going to learn more about the story and about these people. But two, because it then is accurate, it allows you to then, you know, want to watch it again. Maybe you maybe want to see something else you missed and learn something else new and not just focus on the music for the whole performance and that's which is hard to do because the music is great right so sometimes you want to sit back and listen to the music and the sounds but really they are communicating a a real story here and i think that it's an important story to to tell and it's important thing to know and so i think accuracy it does matter something that struck me when i was first listening to the album is way before this was ever talked about being a movie i remember having the feeling of oh I was really proud of Lin-Manuel Miranda for what he kept in, because if this was a movie, there would be a lot of studio executives going, does he have to have the affair? Mm-hmm. Because that's like a break right. in his character. That's a really, and it becomes very defining, but to lean into that instead of just sort of being like, he's remember, he's a Tomcat, he's feral, wink, wink, and then moving and just keeping it with government. That's very brave. He is throwing his lead character a, 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 for a lot of people, unforgivable thing. And he's not forgiven until the very end of the play, rightfully so. But to really play for that is brave. One of my favorite lines in the film is when Thomas Jefferson comes in and says, can we get back to politics right. now? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I love that. So I think it's interesting to do that because the majority of the stuff that, I, that I'm seeing on the internet, it doesn't have specific quibbles, right? They aren't saying... Miranda got this wrong or Miranda didn't do that. It's always he didn't go far enough with something or he went too far. And I think really all of that seems subjective to me. I think the point that you make, Ocean, about the the key things about history being important here, I think he kind of nailed that. I don't have any problems with the way he represented our history in this. I learned stuff from this musical. Did you guys? 
Yes. And the book is 900 yeah. pages long. Uh, we, it, right. the, the book actually floated around our house. We audibled it and uh, the Ron Chernow book, which, and it's uh, exceptional. Um, my daughter was the first person who dove in and read it. And and she's, I think, been through it a couple of times. It is like when you hear the story of Lin-Manuel Miranda reading this book uh, and getting a few chapters in and suddenly imagining I could write a musical about this. Like that's legit. Like he is not alone in having that feeling of just sort of the, the way Cherno uh, tells the story of the, the, you know, the original immigrant, like obviously that's, sure. that, that is a massive stretch, but as a founding father <laughs> uh, coming from the Caribbean with nothing writing his way out, like that whole story is incredibly compelling and well portrayed in this book. So it is it's long. And the phrase the room where it happened is a chapter title. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like like he that. really ju- he took some real stuff from oh, yeah. the book and made it. Yeah, usable. absolutely. And and so cool. you just it, it feels it feels like they are of a piece. And that's why he is uh, Miranda and Cherno are so complimentary of one another. Like they they always mention each other when they talk about how this thing came together. This is where I'd like to pivot on that particular point, because um, I, I think when you look at and, and when you hear Miranda talk about his intention for the show, right, now the original, the, the American, his, the story of American history presented by today's Americans, right? That's sure. that's what we're, that's what he is, he's trying to do here is say, this is the makeup of who we are. Let's look at what the founding looks like now, like that. And so some of what people are, I, I think, rallying against is that they don't see themselves in Thomas Jefferson or in James Madison mm. or in Alexander Hamilton. And that's confusing to people. And so they're upset. And yeah, uh, and, and that whole thing. I mean, I was going to ask about miscasting, miscasting. Yeah. I put it in air quotes because it, it, historical figures, because this this show can't be done with, if you focus on a role being played by a certain demographic. Yeah. You need talent for this and that's what Miranda did so well he just went out and found the talent to tell the story I think it's I I, I think the people who rail against miscasting historical figures are missing the point and I think uh, if, if that's a problem that people have with the relevance of historical accuracy they don't get it this it's such a special show regardless of the way people show up and deliver it I thought the the using the 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 casting trick of having pretty much all the main characters play different characters, all the main actors playing different characters in the first and second act, uh, uh, all the way, you know, even even Peggy gets an incredibly powerful right. part in the second act, which <laughs> right. I thought was just beautiful. <laughs> She's so talented. Um, and, and I thought that was that was really great, sort of reintroducing David Diggs as Thomas Jefferson and reintroducing oh, yeah. uh, Oak as as um, Madison in the second act after an incredible performance as Hercules Mulligan. He's just so good. Um, and, and that is another area that is just sort of ripe for um, for uh, folks who are frustrated. When you see David Diggs playing this character the way it is written, right, and really capitalizing on some of his incredibly natural skill, but to say, oh, he's not representing uh, Thomas Jefferson when he carries such incredible swagger. And he's, he's have you seen anyone? Else? Okay, <laughs> in Tommy, when you've seen it, did, did was there someone someone other than David Diggs played that role? 
Correct. No one in the original Broadway was on tour. I, for me, watching this, I don't understand how anyone could have pulled that off other than David Giggs. And I know it's possible. I'm just saying right. it was so embodied by what we were watching in Lafayette and in Thomas Jefferson. I, I loved it. And we talked about it on the sat mat this weekend where there's been some criticism of David Diggs and the way he delivered the rap and whether you could understand. I thought it was perfect. Yeah. I thought everything he delivered from the French to the, uh, to, to the swagger that he brought with Thomas, like it was so awesome. I can't, I want to see it again with a new cast because I want to see what else can be done. It was so special yeah. in the way he delivered it. I can't imagine anyone but him being cast in that role. When we saw it in Los Angeles, the entire cast was outstanding. See, that's and I never, I never was like, oh, I wish that the main people would have done it because it still sounded great. You know, you, they always do slightly different things with their voices because they want to, they don't want to just be copying mm -hmm. yeah. the person that came forward. But it was all the big hits were there, and it was dynamite. Did you guys had favorites in this cast? Were there people that really stuck out to you, and you were like, that is so amazing? I don't even, I don't even know where I would be. Uh, in. Uh, because you love them all. I feel like So, Philip Sue, I felt that her singing voice, um, so the, first off, her singing voice was amazing and it was great what she was doing. I, I found that, you know, when the moments where I really looked at it from a performance standpoint and I was saying, oh, I can't believe, you know, that it blew me away. I couldn't believe she was doing it. Is when, the, even in the quiet moments of songs, when, the, you know, she was singing not only the helpless, but the one about mm -hmm. this will be enough, when she's turning and looking at Hamilton and they're, look, they're face to face, they're, you know, about six inches apart. And then she's singing soft, you know, perfect on key notes looking directly at him yeah and you know and I, and I was to me that that really got to me the power of the ability to have the the talent and and, and the to me, I guess what got to me was the talent and the ability to have to do that to be able to really not only convey that emotionally but also just the you know i guess it was the mind-blowingness uh mind-blowing talent of it where i couldn't imagine my ability to do anything that remotely that what she was doing there yeah yeah, no, I, I, I loved her and her voice. I caught Helpless. They did, a, I think it was a Jimmy Fallon thing, right, where they had the whole cast come in and they did it before they released this. And I was just, I'm just floored by what she can do vocally. Her instrument is just, it's masterful. Uh, it, and the same for me, my favorite watching it the second time was uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry as Angelica. That number satisfied it was just so she had to do so many different things in it and acted the whole way through it, too. She was I mean, she made me lose my mind with her with her with her voice and with her acting and what she delivered. I, I was so impressed by what she brought to it. And I've, I'd never seen her before that I know of. She's an altered carbon. She's a quote. Yeah, she's quote Chris yeah, There you go. I yes. knew it. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. I love I, uh, it. I feel like that in particular. Watch it. You don't, if you if you watch it, if you want to go see these tracks, you got to make sure you watch Helpless and Satisfied back to back because the production, the choices that they made for production design, it, there are so many, I mean, a thousand bits of nuance and trickery that are going on there that you've got to pay incredibly close attention to, uh, to, to get it. It's just, it's just perfect. The way they rewind, 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 and play the scene again from a different perspective is just, uh, it, it's pristine. Yeah. The other Easter egg actor in it for me was learning that Jonathan Groff as King George is also Kristoff from Frozen. <laughs> I, I was... I loved his vocal performance and the whole, I mean... 
he's getting a lot of flack on the scene on the internet but the whole spittle stuff that's shown by him <laughs> whether it's done on purpose or not it is so perfect to give and this is where i get into that stoic thing that i was mentioning earlier the king doesn't move and that's part of the joke that's part of the bit but he delivers emotion through physical acting in such a great way he was i his voice was wonderful and i think you know he comes out at the end he's dressed as everyone so you don't necessarily get uh, the king coming out to show him as the king during the bows but i was super impressed with his performance as well he was we we uh, learned of him originally on glee he was uh, he's one of the nemesis voices on Glee years and years ago, and we've just kind of followed him. I feel like there's a little bit, I, I don't know what the controversy is, controversy is around him on the internet, but I've always felt like this was a little bit of a jerk move, that he was only in the Broadway cast for about three months, right? He did a hmm. very short run. Really? And then left, yeah, from March to May. Uh, of Why? the opening. Why would he well, leave? I mean, he's he did other things. He was also in... Uh, uh, it's also a very small part yeah. for a guy whose career was, was doing, doing great. great so maybe right? you don't want to spend every night for 20 minutes yeah. of screen of stage time at most. Yeah, there, right. Maybe. I mean, it was just... Obviously, I think that's, that's a, a part that is have in heavier rotation than the rest. But he was gone for a long time, right? Uh, uh, pretty much uh, almost a year Right. Uh, and then they filmed this in July of the following year after he left and he comes back for the movie. Doesn't that feel like you think a that's a jerk? Bit of a jerk it's a I, little bit of a jerk well, move. But, the guy who's in the thing well, for uh, more than a year after you left, but, like you get, you're but done. If he was you're the done. original. You're, chose us. you're done. He was the guy they chose. He was. The but guy so who got was the, the role. guy who they chose after he left. He was. And done. kings don't leave. That's the you're whole point. Done, John. You're done. I love you. You're done. Wasn't the point of this to have the original cast? I, I, so not that I don't have the original hear cast. You have no one knows what Pete's talking about. Ocean, it's okay. I guess yeah. <laughs> this is your this is your first episode. <laughs> it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and we mentioned that he was the selection. So the director Thomas Kale. This is one of the points that I wanted to bring up here. He was the person who selected the cast for the show. Was he the stage director as well? Yeah, he was the first so person. That, he went to uh, Miranda went to him and said, "I got this thing I want to do." And and Kale said, "Okay, let's make it." And they they knew from the very beginning they were going to make it this way. And if nobody got it as they pitched it, they weren't going to they then that wasn't the show the project to be involved with. And that is so my I guess the assertion I want to make is that's why this movie works yeah. because he is wed to it. He's wed to the stage show and he shows up and he directs what's happening mm. in the film as well. You can't necessarily if, if it's if it's a if it's coverage, if they just came there and brought somebody in from from TV or whatnot and, and had a multi camera shoot of this and they're making the decisions on it, it wouldn't have the same emotional honesty that you get with the director from the that's stage right. show. So I'm or especially the restraint. Right. To reuse because, my word. Exactly. They'd be like, let me get in there. Right. And show you how, because if it's the maker of the show, he's like, this is already how I wanted it to look. This is just the chance yeah, to right. get in there. A we did bit it more. right the I first time. It. Let's not screw it up. I thought this was, right. you know, JJ, yeah. you did that project on, uh, was that American Murder? What, American Crime? Uh, American Crime. Yeah, crime. I, I yep. expected that. I expected cameras, <laughs> a lot of cameras floating over the ca over the thing right. and then in yep. and out of the audience. And, and I was just delighted right. that they did. They didn't pull an Oscars performance for it. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and if they would have right. done that, we would have had to have 750 cardboard cutouts in the audience. But that's a whole different yeah. story. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think having Thomas Kale so intimate with it is what makes this movie. I mean, the, that's a great the, point. the show sells itself. Everybody wants to see Hamilton. But what makes this translation into not a film adaptation, but a, a I don't even know what you would call it. Like it, it, they just made a film of the show. Right. And I think I, I think it works because he's involved and I'm and I'm super impressed. I wasn't aware that he was involved in both ways. And I think that's really, really a smart decision. Well, and, and he also is uh, he's a director behind Fosse Verdon. If you haven't watched that uh, on FX, mm. it's got some incredible mm. press. Yeah. Uh, he also did the Grease Live uh, thing. Right. He's nice. he is. Oh, that was outstanding. Right. right? Talk about like moving wow. a lot of pieces uh, that that's yeah. an extraordinary production. So it's not like he doesn't have chops and. And I think that he has demonstrated a lot more sort of frivolity, production frivolity in some of those where it's needed that shows that restraint was not just he didn't know how to do something like this. This guy chose. Right. He was great. I love it. Uh, we should also talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda here, too. I mean, mm. obviously he is, I mean, I shouldn't say obvious. To me, Lin-Manuel is, a, is an American treasure. I mean, what he's doing and what he's done through his career, he's only gained in momentum, in, in acclaim. And I, I'm so excited to see what he does next. That being said, uh, <laughs> in terms of his singing voice, I wasn't super impressed. Um, I don't think anyone else should play this part. I'm not saying that, but especially in the first number, in the first number when he's dealing in his low register, I think he struggles a little bit with it. I think, I think it's really tough. And when he's acting, when he's acting like he's crying, I really see the acting. And I, again, <laughs> I feel like at least I understand your star rating now. I get it. Well, no, well, there's that. We'll talk about that when we get there. But the, the thing is, I mean, he's, I, I want to front this by saying he is a super special person. I love everything he does. He, the music from Miranda. I would love to see what other people could do with this role too. I don't think anyone you should take it away on an from island. Him. I agree. I okay. mean, very famously, uh, um, not very famously, but Hamilton won every single award except for one really loud one, which was Lynn Mail Miranda yeah. for Best Actor. Who beat him? Did we know who beat him? I'm interested. We we can look it up later. But no, I, I, I that makes sense to me. Uh, and I don't yeah. know if anyone else had problems with it. I've seen some people talking about him struggling with the acting. Again, I wouldn't want to change it. I'm really happy we have what we have. But mm-hmm. I notice some of those things when well, it's through. No, I, 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 I noticed I it and felt it as well. I think we even when I'm watching it the, for the first time, um, that it, it looked like, well, he had the Manuel Miranda had a great idea. Had, the, had, the, had a great idea, had a great story, could write it, could put it together, was able to get the show going. And for really for better of the show, but less for how he would look in retrospect as a singer, surrounded himself with great singers, right? Mm. And so, so while, while I still believe he could sing better than I ever will, and I would venture, I guess, better possibly than any of us on the show can. How dare same you? Time, <laughs> so, well... Pete, Pete, Pete aside, of course, oh, but uh, but but when he surrounds himself with singers of that caliber, then his okay voice is really going to look worse in comparison. Well, I want to answer that now, question, I, JJ, because this is an important. I know one. I just looked it up too. Yeah. I want to. Yeah, you found it, so you say. It, well, I, he was up against Alex Brightman, uh, School of Rock, the musical, which was terrific. He was up against Danny Burstein, Fiddler on the Roof, and Zachary Levi. Uh, she loves me, Zach Levi. What's he doing there? Is great. The guy Love he it. lost to is Leslie Odom Jr. Hamilton, best actor, best actor in a Aaron leading Burke. role in a musical. Both of these went to to Hamilton. Yeah. Of course, they're they're going to get they're going to get split. And Leslie Odom is 
I mean, he's so good. His he's voice, in American Treasure too. I mean, so we, we, this this whole list is listing those people. I someone put in the notes here. I think it was you, Pete, that Wayne Brady played him in Chicago. Yeah. I, I I love Leslie Odom Jr., but I am a Wayne Brady fanatic. I would I wouldn't pay a thousand dollars to see him, but I would pay a lot of money to see him play that role in, in on this show yeah. in in Chicago. I think he's he is another one of those sort of multi talented showmen that that I right. think would I think he would he's well cast for that. Be interesting to see him do the second act. It was just difficult with him because he do, would do so much I improv. Know, he kept asking, during he kept the asking people yeah. the name of vegetable in the middle of the show. It was very strange. <laughs> or he said, "Will you take the money, or what's in the box?" Okay, right. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I'm a huge Wayne Brady fan. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. Is there anyone else that cast... comes out after the intermission? In the yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I just, uh, just want to shout out to Anthony Ramos, who's uh, another fantastic performance. He's John Lawrence and Philip Hamilton. He's yes. so great. Uh, <laughs> but he is going to be playing uh, Uznavi in, uh, in in the Heights in the movie coming out uh, now, which was oh, the role that was originated lead, right? by Hamilton and uh, by Lin-Manuel in the stage production. Of it, so That's um, the lead, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to see that. I I also saw an interview with Miranda here where he was talking about, you know, everything was gearing up. We're supposed to be gearing up for In the Heights right now. This is when this was supposed to be out. Yeah. But since we can't do that, we got to shift gears and do this instead. When was the release? The, Disney wasn't going to release this now, 15 months from now, next, October next year. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It makes so much more sense right now. It's like God it was. It, it's perfect. It is a bespoke yes, placement yeah. and and bespoke delivery for this thing. Like it just felt it's perfect. Right for right now uh, for for, you know, fans. 100 percent agree. It, was there anyone else from the cast that we should mention? I mentioned Chris Jackson a, a couple of yeah. times. I, his that first the first time I watched it, when he talked about how to say goodbye, that that whole solo at the end when he's losing his mind. I mean, that just brought the emotion directly out of me. And I wasn't mm -hmm. super into Washington before oh, yeah. in that in the in the in the in the film. But that song hit me really hard. Um, I, I don't think we can. I mean, I don't think we can say enough about David Diggs as uh, Marquis uh, de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. But, you know, for me, again, uh, Okiarietti Onaodawan uh, as Hercules uh, Mulligan for me, uh, I, that transition between Mulligan and Madison was so good. But when he looks out and he says, Hercules, Mulligan, I need no introduction writing. You knock me down. I get that back up again and kisses the audience and sticks his tongue out, right? I mean, it's just a, one of the examples of breaking the fourth wall in this in this uh, production that I think was just perfect. He is such a character uh, and uh, so great. Doesn't Hamilton sing at one point when he's when he's having his one of the many like sort of rapper singing duels in it? I think it's one of the in the original song when he's with the sort of the 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 uh, the herald of the king where he's saying, don't modulate the key with me yeah. to try don't to make it more intense. Then, yeah. Loved it. A farmer refuted. Yeah, yeah that's my favorite so song in the entire show. Which one? A farmer refuted that called? one where he's where he's yeah where he's yeah. going back where the guy does his entire for shame yeah. and then re sings it while he comes same. in and out and jumps in and jumps in with certain words and yeah. comes out. That's my favorite song. Did you guys have other favorites, Pete? What was your favorite song? Oh, how dare you! Uh, <laughs> no, I, there's, a, a there's a trio actor. of Can't songs. Okay, there's a trio of songs, and uh, they're the, it's, uh, toward the end where we get to uh, guns and ships. Uh, history has its eyes on you in Yorktown. Like that, that is a passage in the arc of the first act that I find chilling all mm. the way through uh, the end of that bit. 
Um, and uh, the cabinet battles were amazing. Speaking of breaking the fourth mm-hmm. wall and making those choices to have to have them sort of uh, the the sort of rap it's battle, a rap battle. Uh, which I yeah. thought was really yeah. really great. And uh, the room where it happens. Talk about a showstopper. Ocean, what stuck out for you? Yeah, I find I'll piggyback on the the rap battle for the in the cabinet meeting. I really like that. I think that the main song performance that really stuck out to me was um, when they when they did the on stage when they do the flashback. The you know the satisfied um, you know satisfied and then coupling that with you know the, the, the this would be enough right the, those those two songs together with the not only the meanings of each of those songs differently where one is you know a wife trying to communicate to your husband hey uh, you know I I understand that we fell in love and had this romance and I loved these things about you but you know we've achieved a lot we're together now why don't we slow down and let it be enough for us to be together. While at the same time on, you know, on a rewind, you know, her, her sister is then saying, Hey, I, you know, I love you as a sister. You're the most important person in the world to me. Uh, but this guy's never going to be satisfied. And I understand that because I'm never going to be satisfied either. Dude, I didn't, right? I didn't then, even realize until this point how that would be enough or this would be enough. Answer is satisfied. I mean, that is so perfect. That is such smart writing. I love it. Satisfied was my, is my favorite song, is my favorite number in the whole show. I think the stuff like that, that smart writing shows all the way through to the end. And I think in my second watching, when, we, when you watch Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story, and Eliza's talking about her living 50 more years. And every time she says Who Lives, one of the cast members comes up and tells how Eliza tells their story, right? But she campaigns for the Washington Monument. Washington comes up and says it. That stuff, I mean, it, it's just such a smart musical. It's just, and it has so many layers like this. I think in each watching, I think even us sitting here talking about it tonight, we're teaching each other things about what we saw in the musical. And I think each watching is going to do that. And, it, and it's, it's a conversation starter. Everybody should be talking about Hamilton right now. Uh, I, I, I got a question. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those things, having not seen the very end of the show until the film. And I'm talking yeah, now yeah, yeah. about, um, Eliza's, uh, final moments. Uh, okay. she is held by everybody as she's, you know, they're doing the, the final, uh, song they've just done. The world was wide enough, which is such a gorgeous song. And then who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And, and to me at that point, I'm, I'm getting the experience that sort of Eliza, Eliza's the one who lived, everyone else died. And she's the one who lives on for 50 more years and tells the story, right? She's the one who carries yep. that legacy. But then she's, she's walking down, downstage center and she's kind of holding Hamilton's hand, he is now dead, and sort of the phantom Hamilton, they're all in the white, and let's go of the hand, and she walks to the, right in the front of the stage, and then she, like, has that weird, horrific gasp out of nowhere. What does that mean to you guys? I didn't find it horrific at all. I, the way that I interpret that is she was going to her reward. She had finally died. She was going to heaven. She was meeting her son, Hamilton, and realizing that her story was also ultimately told. Interesting. That's how I took it. All right. That's the exact same thing I I thought as well. So I, yeah, and I told the boys, I was like, she died. That's what I said. Yeah. I mean, straight up, I told her that. And it reminded me a lot. Uh, Have you guys seen Fences? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So, you did that on the show. So, Fan says, yeah. I haven't seen the movie, the, the recent movie that just came out with it, but I saw it in college at the okay. University of Colorado. Right. Um, our friend Thomas was in it, and he played the role of the that person who comes out at the end um, and who plays the horns for heaven and, 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 and ends in a similar sigh. It's not the same sort of thing, but it's delivered by the actor. And that is what it immediately harkened back for to me is that Eliza comes mm. center stage forward and has her moment in a, 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 it, it, it was it, it's, it's both beautiful and terrifying at the same time. I'm getting choked up just even talking about it yeah. because it's so intense and so wonderful. And I love that you hadn't seen that until yeah. you watched this. I've movie seen this everything time. I every so other great. minute except for her gasp. And I think it was because on the, the version that I had seen, somebody may have had to put down their camera phone emergently and I so i heard it I, I heard the end i had never seen it and that <laughs> was that was the only surprise that i had uh, like the big sort of narrative surprise and and so i'm i'm right with you guys that i the first time i watched it, i was like oh she died like she was the last to die and that was her experience sort of crossing over but then everybody i'm talking to is like why was did it look like it hurt her so much like why was she in so much pain why was she scared i said well have you ever died like <laughs> right maybe that's just what it's like like Relax. <laughs> I've I really found it as ecstatic. Ecstatic. Yeah. That's an overwhelming a good word for it. joy. Yeah. That's All how right. I felt it. Yeah. Right. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't view it as ecstatic though. I I'm with you peeling the emotion. I I felt that the what she was emoting was a uh, a uh, fear alongside of uh, of you know, yeah, wonder. Right. Sure. There was some relation of I'm gonna be with my family, but it looked it looked like she was scared yeah. as well because you know, which I think would be I'm guessing here, since I, I I too have not yet died. I'm, I'm guessing next that, week flatliners. Even if I'm yeah, exactly the musical, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I took it as that she was had a combination of of emotions that you know. It, even if I were to believe that at the, after my, after death, I'd be reunited with my loved ones. There's the elation of that, but at the same time, the actual act of dying would create fear. So I think that she did a wonderful job of emoting both emotions mm. with that look. That you have the initial fear and trepidation of death, along with the elation of I'm going to finally be reunited with these people that I love. Yeah, mm. I get that. That's awesome, I totally get that. I, I'm glad you so, guys agree with me because I was like, oh, all my people oh, were, are crazy. Was, it, was there people? Not agreeing with you in your viewing area. All of them were. All of them were like, oh, she's in some sort of pain. She's in some what? sort of hysterical pain, and they don't. It, what a weird way to end the why show. Would that, Ow! Yeah. And then it just ends my back. Weird. I need the sequel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I don't know. know. That seems very strange right, to me. me too. But yeah, but we are all in agreement right. with that. Talking about the story, one of the things that I felt that it did a, a really good job of communicating that most biopics don't was uh, the ability to communicate time. Right. If you're not already familiar with the story, which which I was not, it, they did a great job of communicating. You know, the four main friends meet at the bar in 1778. You know, Hamilton assumes his first command in 1781. Jefferson returns in 1789 and, and uh, returns from France in 1789, and, and also the election of Jefferson as president in 1800. And that by being able to communicate this, it allowed you to watch a story where all of the actors look the same or wearing basically the same clothes throughout the whole thing, but then also can convey to you, Hey, I'm watching 20 years of life, not what happened in six months. Yeah. And, and we talked about this on our most recent film too. Mm -hmm. The beauty of musical theater here is you can do all those years and you do not have to worry about aging. Anyway right. <laughs> right. When you do it. Exactly. <laughs> I, you know, I have one more point that I just want to bring up because it was, it was a little bit jarring to me. And we kind of talked about it around here as we're watching it as a family, which is um, after we watched it the first time and then we watched a whole bunch 
<laughs> I mean, an obsessive uh, amount of behind the scenes, like interview stuff. And uh, the the actor who plays Mulligan Oak, uh, he mm-hmm. he said that I, I think I'm going to credit him, but it may have been Washington, uh, Chris uh, Jackson. Um, he said the thing that stood out to him the most when they went back and watched this now that some years have passed was that, uh, you know, when they're looking at I may not live to see tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Or see our glory, right? They're doing that. Uh, they're doing the. They're doing their bit, and it's these four guys, and they're clearly like they're they're bonded, singing about love. Like they just they love their country, and they're there for each other, and they're going to do this great thing. And I, you know, it it felt like the most natural thing in the world for me, and. For context, Andy and I have just finished mm-hmm. recording the Friday series that we're doing, which is all about just like these crazy mm. wackadoo uh, like shenanigans uh, <laughs> that Ice Cube gets into with his many friends. And and uh, this is really funny and fun. And there's some some hard stuff in there. But generally, it's just like and then uh, Oak says the thing I love the most about this is that these people, these friends are up there. They're all black and brown people and it strikes me that the turn of history these would be white mm-hmm. people and hearing mm. him say that watching the show now it seems completely foreign to me that there were white people at the founding of our country <laughs> <laughs> like hamilton has, has recast history for me and i find that enormously effective yeah there what do they say at the table they say there will be more of us tomorrow there will be I more of that. us tomorrow that is a weighty weighty word or line yep. in this thing. Yep. Yeah. I agree. So now why don't we get together and rank this? Now it's time to rank it. Time to see where on the chart it lies. It must be nice. It must be nice to have the film board on your side. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to say flick chart. I was waiting for that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's because where we're going is to flick chart, where we've got all the movies we've talked about on this show ranked over at flickchart.com/slash/tnrfilmboard. Flickchart is a super cool site where you can create a tournament-style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. Pete, let's do Hamilton. Okay, mm. let's do it. Hold on. <laughs> I'm not in it yet, JJ. Okay. I'm going to be. How's that va- How's that class in vamping going <laughs> that you're taking, Pete? Hamilton or Kingsman, the Golden Circle? Hamilton. 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 Oh, I didn't even have to vote. I will spoil this a little bit and say Hamilton ended up very high on my personal chart. So this will be okay. mm. great. Hamilton or Captain America Civil War? Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> Oceans giving it a think. Wait, Civil Civil War. The big battle at the airport. Ham- Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, there, I, I think because there's one Captain America. I'm a, a, the airport a, battle. Winter, we, so, winter yeah. Soldier. I was going to go the other way. Civil War. I'll I don't know if we're going to get there. Hamilton get or there. Guardians Hamilton of the Galaxy. Or Guardians Guardians. Guardians of Galaxy. Hamilton. Wow, I'm Hamilton. Okay, so, uh, okay, I will do uh, Paper, Rock, Scissors with you, Pete. Start it out. Right. A one, two, three. Paper, Paper scissors, 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 
Okay. You win. Hamilton wins. All right. Wow, we did that really well. well. Sorry, I just have to throw that out there uh, because we don't usually do that very well at all. (laughs) Hamilton wins. How about Hamilton or Edge of Tomorrow? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, but reluctantly. Not reluctantly, just a little bit. Okay. Okay. It must be nice. We will not see. We will not live to see tomorrow. How about Hamilton (laughs) or Get Out? Hamilton. Hamilton. Tommy. We do love some Because I'm thinking Thiel. about, I know, because well, I'm thinking about what Hamilton did, what it was set out to do, and what it did versus a more traditional movie. That's what makes this so sure difficult. It That's true. Because very Hamilton, I think, did a masterful job in what it was doing, but Get Out had a world to play in. Exactly. Right. And, and I think I'm going to say Hamilton is a better script, Get Out is a better movie. And so you choose? Pass. No, I choose. Uh, I'm going to say. I'm going to say. Get out. Okay, Pete. Now wait. What did you guys choose? Hamilton. Hamilton. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go Hamilton too. Okay. Okay. All right. You feel okay about that? Better script. Tommy said. That's good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, this will be a good one for you guys. Uh, Hamilton or Star Wars: The Last Jedi. <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a real knuckle breaker for me. Oh, wait, The Last Jedi. I never saw it. Okay. You take The Last Jedi, but you put the cast of Hamilton in it and make it a musical. (laughs) (laughs) But then we're choosing both. Last Jedi is Red Sand. uh, Is it the last one that was made? No. Oh. The one before no, it's, it. It's it's the eighth one. It's it's the it's the worst of the new three. No. <laughs> where the is there where the one where the one ship goes hyperspace yes. through yes. the other ship? That's it is. Oh, yes. I like it that is. one, but of course Hamilton uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. across yeah. the board. Okay, that was the five seconds of it being great. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, so you're saying Hamilton too? I'm Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. oh, I'm Hamilton. We're unified. Yeah. Great. Yeah. How about this? Yeah. Mm. We've cracked the top ten. Hamilton is now Yay! number oh. seven. Uh, on great. our list, wow. right after Edge of Tomorrow, uh, it, it's it's uh, Edge of Tomorrow, and then uh, Star Wars Get Out and World War Z rounds up the top ten. So number seven, Hamilton, and Star I think Wars that's Get really oh, a, that's Wars. a really interesting thing that we run across here because I think if there's one critique of of adding Hamilton to this particular list, it's that we're judging this thing that cost here against something where they invented entire planets and ships to get right. there, right? Like, it's just, right. a, it's a different scale. and It's totally different. And that's yeah, why, I, before hard. we go and give our numbers, I want to invite everyone. I I was interested after doing my flick chart thing about it. It went high for me too, Pete. Not as high as you, I'm sure, but it, it went high. I looked for a place where you could rank your musical theater things. And I found a Tumblr at musicaltheatersorder.tumblr.com. Now it doesn't have everything in the world, which is really disappointing, but it did have more. And Hamilton showed up as number four for me after Les Mis, Wicked, A Chorus Line, then Hamilton, and then Hedwig and the Angry Inch after that. So it's a really mixed group. But, and after watching Hamilton the second time, I'm like, maybe it should go even up higher. It's really, really good. So, but everyone should check that out. Um, We'll try to put it in the show notes so people can do it. As far as your letterbox ranking, I started out with a four before we had this conversation, but uh, all the adoration has moved me, moved me up to a 4.5. I think it's it's really special. And I'm actually, I was keeping it at a four because it wasn't like other movies. And right. I put it to a 4.5 because of exactly what you were talking about, Tom, when you were debating this versus Get Out. It's so accomplished what it set out to do. And it did it in a way that I didn't expect. So I wanted to give it that extra half star there. So I'm 4.5 and a like. I can, I can go next time. I, when I went on Letterboxd, I had a 
Uh, basically, my end up being a four. Uh, I did four stars and the like. Uh, really, I didn't give it five stars because a it's it's not a movie; it's a musical, right? right. So I I didn't feel that it, I could rate this as a five star movie because I would have if it were actually a movie, I would have you know basic critiques like uh, hey, nobody changed clothes <laughs> for two weeks, right? So it's twenty years, nobody what changed clothes, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or hey, I can I can see the guy moving that little you know yeah. ladder around to, you know to move him. So, hey, that's so not that a is... boat. They're just sitting on the floor. <laughs> exactly. <Gap. laughs> right. So so uh, so so that's, so for me that knocks me down. And then also, um, you know, I, I will admit also for to get five stars, I think Lin Manuel Miranda would have needed to have been a better singer. Right. He, he did That's surround fair. himself with great singers where he's not. So I rated it four stars because I thought it was really great and really great at what it was. Um, and I gave it a like. Uh, I can go five stars and a like. <gasps> nice. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's perfection. I, yeah, I'm, I'm oh. with Tommy. I'm five stars and a like, too. Uh, and I, I think it's because now this is out. I've watched it now three times over the weekend. And I have the same sort of level of heightened emotional response to this thing every time I watch it. This this experience hmm. gives me something uh that is is I think really uh special, right? I just I feel really great. I feel I feel different about this than when I watched the last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm I'm sticking with it. I I had a blast. That's awesome. We yeah, did the really fact that well there. It can have that depth of just being on a stage, but have that depth of emotion right. is, I think that's what pushes it from 4.5 to 5 for me. And what what a bright spot in the middle of this summer, right? Yeah. I mean, seriously, yeah. thank you, Disney. Thank you, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm so happy that we got to watch this. And so saying that, I mean, where do we go from here? We are still in a huge ball of uncertainty about where the film industry is going to go. We still are hoping, you know, we, we kind of had Tenet on a, on a tentative thing for us because we <laughs> thought it may come out. It's, uh, it's moved back now again, and, and we don't really know. So we have... Uh, tentatively planned to have a streaming mm. option in our bag for August. And one of the, the one that we found there is one called project power. Uh, that's uh, apparently going to be released by Netflix around August 14th. It's got Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon Levitt. That's our plan right now, but we're going to stay fast and loose on this. We're going to stay spring loaded because if one of those big film opening comes up, if we have enough people in cities where we can go see something, we're going to go see something in the theater. Uh, Pete, uh, we've got a hiatus month here for the main show. What, what are we doing? Uh, when we come back well we are going to pick up it, it actually picks up a little bit early we're not taking the entire month of july off so it's i i think nice. we will come back with friday uh late in july um so we'll do friday next friday and friday after next um and they were a lot of fun those are the titles yeah, of the movie yeah and let me tell you not, you're not giving fr- the date. spoiler <laughs> friday is i'm i am a giant fan of Friday. It's been in my life for a long time. We had never seen the following two movies. We just decided to do the whole trilogy cuz and uh mixed bag after number 1 is I think a fair <laughs> yeah. assessment. It's, uh, you said you already recorded them. We did. Show, we recorded right? them. There's, did you guys uh, but, Did you guys talk about the origin of Bye Felicia? Yeah, we did. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah, of course, yeah. I didn't know that. I had to go looking yeah. for it. At the end of a season of Orange is the New Black, they, they said, said it, it and I was like, Bye "Oh, that's Felicia. it." But no, it comes from Friday. Um love yeah, it. so we did that, but I will say we are not taking a break from the Sat Mat. The nice. Saturday matinee show is going strong, so uh you know, if you are a member, you'll get it on Saturdays if it's in the public feed on Mondays, and we are shaking it up with lots of 
Uh, we're just trying to put everybody involved with the next reel in a big mixer. And so it's different voices together every week. And I think it's made for, for some really fun conversations. So looking forward to a summer of Satmat there. And, um, and then some of those fun. other voices are from the Marvel Movie Minute, right? What's going on over there? That's right. Kyle and Rob are kicking butt over at uh, with the Hulk. Um, it is 80s week, meaning we're in the 80s of minutes. <laughs> and uh, we've got the only love scene in the MCU has just passed us. Interesting. And, uh, and then of course I they think put at it in the, the Hulk, end of this where week, everyone questions yeah, right. <laughs> like how the Hulk would make love, but whatever. Yeah, right. Well, and and one of their titles in the movies includes the words, uh, uh, the minute coming up is includes the word shrinky dink. So uh, it gives you a sense of the respect with which they treat the Hulk's hours love it uh so that's it it's it's a great it's it's a short movie so we're getting to the end right they're they're in going into the climax here so to speak <laughs> and um uh so they're they're wrapping it up and let me tell you this for those who are into iron man 2 uh these guys you know they're ahead kyle and rob of their recording schedule so we're already in pre-production for Woo! iron man 2 the break between hulk and iron man 2 is going to be very love short it. uh so get that's ready wow. uh they're that's a much bigger endeavor, and we're very excited about where they're going. And we'll show, talk so. about all that stuff coming, coming up on Discord, I assume, as well. Because yep. uh, as folks may remember, right. we talked about that in the opening. So everyone should come on out and connect with us there. Go to www.thenextreel.com and let us know you want to gab with us. We've got details about all the great stuff happening with our extended family of podcasts there. And I'd like to especially thank the newest member of our family, Ocean Murph. Thank you so much for your voice and insight tonight. Yay! Thank you. Thanks for having me. We were very excited to have you. Can't wait to have you on another one. Uh, for tonight, say goodnight, Pete Wright. Good night, JJ. See you later, Tommy Handsome. We did it! At the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. Here on the Film Board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today.